On today's episode, we'll be discussing Perry Mason Season 1, Episode 6, HBO's reboot to the classic courtroom drama, Perry Mason, which ran from 1957 to... to 1966. 1966. They also made nine some... Seasons. Nine seasons. Yeah. That's That's pretty long for even back then. Yeah. Yeah, and they made some movies based on the Perry Mason character. Yeah, I believe that some of the movies were made after the TV show. Okay, not during. Not during, no. Okay, and were they starring the same guy? Yeah, this starred Raymond Burr and Barbara Hale, and the show was um, critically acclaimed throughout its run. It's also been called one of the hardest shows to work on for writers, uh, just because it had a pretty strict uh, process. What do you mean by that? Well, what the, uh, the writers would initially have to do is they would have to come up with a story, and then they Ooh, would have real to. Tough. But no, then they would have to send it in um, through two lawyers. There's a draft, um, and the lawyers would have to look over it, and then they would uh, bring it back with notes, and then the writers after that would have to revise it again. So they wanted and, to stay as accurate <laughs> as possible. Yeah, and then they would yeah. send it to the author of uh, the stories because. It was originally based off of um, like best-selling books. I didn't um, know that. Earl Stan Gardner was his name. He was also was the writer. Yeah, he was the writer, and he uh, he is actually a lawyer as well, or was a lawyer. And then he would look over the stories and make notes about it, and then send it back to them. And then they would end up having to then um, make you know. Use it sounds the notes. like The Wire, where the guy created the show. Yeah, I know. He went from being a police officer to making a show about police officers. Right. Yeah, and yeah, I would compare it to that because. But they, like this, especially for the time, was new because um, you know back in the fifties through sixties, like you didn't really see a lot of courtroom dramas. So it was like number one in its time slot for a long time, beating mm-hmm. out things like Bonanza, like on NBC, and then it was moved to Thursdays. I think around its sixth season, and then that it started gaining its top ratings there as well. Um, the weird thing about the show is that when it ended in nineteen sixty six the channel just kind of came out and said oh yeah we're not going to run anymore because we feel like people are burned out i was going to say i haven't seen it a ton on tv land when i was growing up i used to watch tv land and it wasn't one of like the mainstays i remember dick van dyke and gomer pyle and andy griffith and those ones but i'd assume that it probably played sometimes well yeah definitely on tv land and it also like uh had a huge thing when it hit syndication this was played on a ton of different channels tbs hallmark channel and wgn yeah so this place it was well known enough where i had a high school or sorry a middle school principal whose name was perry mason yeah so did i yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) no but uh but what was going back to the like when i was canceled uh, the producers were kind of shocked because they were getting the most amount of um, like fan mail that they had been getting during that time. So they really didn't understand why the show was being canceled. But they subsequently made some movies afterwards, also starring Raymond Burr, and it's also just been loved from there on out. So it made sense why uh, HBO back in 2016, I think, decided to try and you know. Make do you know this. if Raymond Burr ever went on to do anything else? Because it sounds like he may have become typecast to the character. Just like uh, the James Bond guy, where like they tried to get rid of him at a certain point, but then they couldn't well, because people were so actually, enamored with well, him. Well, it's, it's funny you mention that because Raymond Burr was in some other things. He was in Godzilla of King of Monsters, which is where his name kind of came out, and he sadly died in 1993. But when Netflix uh, like made this poll back in 2014 about who their favorite actor was, Raymond Burr uh, placed number one in the whole thing, and uh, Barbara Hale who plays the uh, co-star in the show, came in at number seven. So this show is very, very liked by people who watch it. 
Okay, so jumping forward 40 years or 50 years um, and bringing it to today's version of the show, I was surprised when I heard that Matthew Reese, the guy from the Americans, was the one who was going to be taking up the role. And apparently he'd never even watched the show. Well, originally it wasn't even supposed to be him. It was supposed to be Robert Downey Jr. Oh, for real? Yeah. So tell me a little bit about that. So Robert Downey Jr. back, I believe it was 2016, was like ready to do this role. He has his own production company. And his own production company is part of it. He produces the show. Interesting. Um, So he definitely didn't cut ties with it, but he wasn't able to do the show because it ran into like interference with some of his... um, Seems like a busy guy. Yeah, motion pictures thing, especially after, you know, Avengers propped up his career again. Uh, But him, his wife, and his production company produced the show, and then they decided, oh, let's get Matthew Reese, and then they were able to get a lot of famous people, like John Lithgow, uh, who plays Jonathan, I believe, and then Tatiana. He actually wasn't in this episode. I didn't see John Lithgow at all. Yeah, um, he dies in episode four. Okay. So, so did, did, but, Wait, what was his, the name of his character again? Jonathan. Yeah, there were several people who died who they mentioned in this episode, like George Gannon and obviously the baby, but those were the focus of it. I don't think they even mentioned to Jonathan, or if they did, it yeah. was well, wasn't passing. It was E. B. Jonathan who played, and John Lithgow plays the mentor to Perry Mason. Okay, now I know exactly who you're talking about. So Matthew Reese's character of Perry Mason is talking to himself for a good ending part of the episode and just punching his car because he's upset about how the court case is going and upset that he has to be the defense attorney because he feels like he shouldn't have these morals, but he talks as the other guy. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, uh, that makes sense. Like, he keeps mimicking the other dude talking to himself because he's alone in his car. Oh, that's... Okay. Yeah, so I assume he was doing a John Lithgow impression. So he's coming up with responses, basically, for... Yeah, yeah. yeah. It it seemed more organic there than I'm making it sound, but it was definitely a weird moment for him, but something that had just happened in the case that we had watched, because this whole episode was about Emily's trial. Mm-hmm. And Emily is the mom of Charlie Dodson. Charlie Dodson, yeah. And what happened in the first episode, I know, is that they find this dead baby, and it has its eyes stitched open. And somehow, she is being tried as being responsible, even if she didn't murder the baby, as having killed the baby. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. It reminded me a lot of Koiza uh, uh, Mize Linda, or... Um, Girls from Ipanema. Oh, yeah, Ipanema. that show, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because at the beginning of that episode, I remember the husband was testifying, um, saying that her his wife was having an affair, so he deserved to kill her. Yeah, this was right. kind of similar, that. where her husband testified against uh, Emily Dodson. And you know who the husband is played by? No, uh, what was his name again? Nate Cordry. Well, his name is Matthew. Matthew, sorry, yeah. Matthew and Emily, that's, yeah. Mm-hmm. And basically because she was an adulterer, um, because she was having an affair with George Gannon, uh, the whole jury is, like, gasping the entire episode, <laughs> just shocked that she would do something so evil. And it was definitely a different time in representing the inequality that is 
of just the idea of someone cheating on someone. Right. This takes place back in 1931 in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So that, yeah, that gives you a better impression of things. And as far as the show similarities with the old one goes, they share the same names with different characters, but this is definitely a very different take on the Perry Mason, not like the 1957 show version. Okay, who else is in the show that shares the same name from the 1957? Uh, Hamilton Berger um, and Paul Drake. There's a guy named Hamilton Berger? Hamilton Berger, yeah. Okay, he was, what's uh, his story? He was the original nemesis in the... Um, 1957 show he was the uh district attorney that perry mason would usually go against the district attorney would be on the defense side yeah he, he would defend people right yeah because well the, the thing about the usually show is, district attorneys are on the state side and usually the state is the one well, who's going after people well that's the, what's weird so like in this episode the district attorney is the prosecuting attorney going after emily dodson and his name is, uh, let me see, Mr. Barnes. And he's just the most contemptuous, like, prosecuting attorney uh, that he could be. Like, he's really smug, and he says some really well, dumb I, stuff. I, I more meant Hamilton Berger in the new show as a district attorney who gives Perry Mason legal advice. Oh, okay. That, and that helps him. How many him, district attorneys are there? <laughs> a lot. There, that helps him pass the bar exam in episode five. So episode six was kind of like the first time that you actually see Perry Mason be a lawyer. He is bad at being a lawyer. Like, yeah, yeah. They start the episode. <laughs> Did they tell you? Yeah, no, I, I saw some reviews for it. You yeah. saw some reviews for it? Yeah. yeah. So he has like a coughing attack. Just he's besieged by a coughing attack mm-hmm. immediately when he starts. And I think his first line is something along uh, the words of, like, uh, does anyone actually believe she did it? Because I don't. Like, you don't start <laughs> your opening statement off by telling the jury in that fashion. You, like, you try to be oh, a little bit more subtle it. Yeah. about it. Yeah, like, no one actually believes this. <laughs> it's so cavalier, but it was also, like, he was so nervous while he was doing it. He had stage fright, a quivery voice. I'm not sure if Matthew Reese went overboard with it or if it was the script that had him just going, like, you're supposed to have a panic attack the first second because the courtroom is packed, everybody's watching, and the judge is pretty uh, controlling. Like, whenever there's gas, he's just like, order! Order in the court! <laughs> and he's, like, smacking the gavel against the, uh, the thing. And later on, the judge also shows that he's very partial to the prosecution side mm-hmm. and not at all in favor of the defendant trying to prove that one of the cops did it. Oh, so they, yeah. Because, well, the thing about the show in 1957, um, it sounds kind of similar there, is that, like, a lot of times it would follow the same formula of Perry Mason gets a client... And then by the end of the episode, he calls someone up to the stand who's a surprise, like, witness and then is able to, like, show them that they, that the person on the stand is the actual murderer. Yeah, it's so interesting you say that they actually went with lawyers through that because one of the criticisms I've heard about lost shows is it's very surprising to have any surprise witness add sub or text to a, um, to an ongoing case that would change things like there is very little (gasps) moments that the prosecuting and the defense side are both not well aware of before they start the case to begin with or the trial to begin with that just doesn't happen but I think, too often. They, I think most shows do it for just entertainment purposes. Obviously, but they've even veered away from that in the more recent history. Like, we used to get a lot of Matlocks. Uh, you get the Perry Mason, Columbo. Even some of the Law & Order episodes, there's a lot of that moment. But it, lately, it feels like our society has gone away from 
the catch who done it type thing and veered more towards trying to defend the innocent who are being accused of a murder or something yeah i think that most of them are probably just trying to change up the formula kind of from from what you're saying like the matlock law and order shows because those are, are seen as cliche yeah but in today's age you have uh real life true crime type things like serial and making a murderer and then you can even look back at like old-timey like to kill a mockingbird type thing where the hero of the story is not someone who finds the killer and really makes them pay and proves they're the killer in a court of yeah. law, has them break down and just admit to what they did in front of everybody. Um, it's more about just telling the story of someone who's been falsely accused and proving it that way. Yeah, I mean, I think that, I think like shows probably like, you know, Making a Murderer and like other type of documentary shows have proven to be pretty lucrative for businesses like that. So they're like, in fact, you know, it'd be really great. We could probably make a fictional show of that and uh it would turn out really well in fact paul drake um the, paul drake is the the african-american cop yeah and yeah. he he's actually in the show when they see us or that one netflix show that came out that got a ton of acclaim um, okay and that talks about the 50s and um like the young african-americans who were being charged for i believe a murder that they didn't commit and yeah his character in this one does have a very redeeming moment because for a while perry mason is thinking about betraying his trust because um, Drake is the one who tells him or gives him evidence that Gannon, is that his name? Wasn't actually, he didn't actually commit suicide, that he was murdered. He has evidence George of that. George Gannon, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I believe that's probably pretty heavily implied that Enos did it. Enos is this um, like corrupt detective who's basically kind of been the main nemesis yeah, of the I'll, show. Yeah, I'll get to Enos yeah. in a minute, but I just wanted to touch upon Drake's storyline. So he goes on in front of the judge and he gives this very uh, clear statement about how the police found the body and where the blood was. And he's questioned about it by Perry Mason, and Perry decides that he's not going to do anything to jeopardize Drake's career and bring up the evidence of this, like, uh, I think it was something to do with a denture that he had found. Yeah, a denture at the crime scene. Mm -hmm, that he had in quietly just given him. Um, but later on, Drake is paid off by the police department for how well he had testified, mm -hmm. and he feels really bad about it. So he goes to Perry and tells him that he can use the evidence and pretend that he found it in the discovery files that the uh, DA had basically dumped a ton of like boxes to Perry Mason's office to sort of overwhelm him with stuff. A la like the Dark Water movie. Yeah. Remember that where yeah. they just presented a ton of uh, of empty like, box or <laughs> full boxes of like paperwork to go through. Yeah, they cases. did the same thing in Eli Stone too. I remember one time. It seems like a very touched upon joke whenever you're doing law humor. It, it's funny because you you say that about Paul Drake because in a, another episode he's threatened by Enos not to let out any information to Perry Mason and then he's like okay fine and he like but then he actually gives information to Perry Mason so it seems like he's just someone who like kind of is on Perry Mason's side but is like a double detective almost kind of yeah well Enos though is so evil they show him being basically tutored by the prosecuting attorney at one point him and his partner do you know his partner's name i think it's gene or maybe that's his wife um but they have a scene at the very end where was it holcomb was that his partner possibly yeah. yeah and so where he and that guy's played by the one from unbelievable one of the cops mm. yeah 
um, which is also a show about injustice. Uh, so a lot of like people that have done the same type of shows for this. Or played the same similar type of character. And, and I right? think the reason they did that, not to take away from the point, but I think the reason they did that is because Perry Mason, obviously just the name and you make a TV show, it's going to get a lot of buzz. So you kind of want to have people like that have done that type of acting job so that they can really do justice to the story. Anyways, that guy intervenes with uh, Enos at the end of the story while he's with his car and says, like, who else can finger you for this? Like, he's really just mm-hmm. coming at him. And he's, I think, hitting his car just to, like, make his point, uh, Enos's car. And then Enos is like, you really want to know? And, he, and the guy's like, no, I want him dead. And then they, like, zoom over to some other storyline. Because at the very ending, the you have Perry Mason go up to a farm or this place out in the middle of nowhere and find Jim Hicks. Do you know who that is? Uh, no, I don't. Okay, so he's going to provide them some sort of information because he's been waiting for Perry Mason to show up and he has a gun. And so what they were trying to do the, from the investigative side of this episode, because there's the court trial going on and then the, he also has his two people... Um, what are their names? Uh, Della and Strickland, mm-hmm. both looking into a bunch of clues as to how or why the church was involved or how Gannon died and what happened to the baby right. in real life. George Gannon, that's, yeah. Yeah, you've said that. George Gannon, again, is the guy who's having the affair with Emily. And there was this really dumb scene where you had uh, a hotel manager testify against Emily because he was they came and had an affair in his hotel and he's one of those hotel guys who like look through peepholes at what's going on and he hears a screaming baby and he goes into their other hotel room like the next door one finds the baby and then starts yelling at them through the wall at least that's his testimony and so it makes her seem like she's just a horrible mother and that's what the prosecution uh uses to then lead to their biggest witness who does the big surprise reveal that says something along the lines of that she's the matron of the the um, city jail, and she was visiting. And, and when um, Emily was visiting with her sister, with Sister Alice, uh, that she overheard her talking about the kidnapping and murder of her child, and so she was basically pinning the actual murder on Emily. Oh wow! Yeah, and that okay. drives yeah. Emily first into a rage and then afterwards she sort of goes insane yeah where she's gets into the car and she thinks her baby's still alive oh, so oh so yeah real crazy. yeah the only time that it was really good for the defense and when perry mason started to get his act together was when he was able to use that jaw piece the denture, denture piece against yeah. it but then the da freaked out and they the judge freaked out and they both went into the back office and uh, the judge's chambers and he basically said no we that's inadmissible we're we're still going to continue with the trial and it was yeah it was really bad for their case because it kind of killed their argument Um, so what i could tell from this episode in in summary is that it wasn't going along an episode by episode basis basis yeah yeah this is definitely a a week by week type show yeah no not like the original so there's a lot of differences from the original i wonder if they couldn't have just made a different TV show with different character names and and slap that on. Like, Maybe. what was really the point of calling well, him Perry obviously Mason? Obviously, if you call it Perry Mason, like I said, you're going to draw a lot of attention to but the I'm show. But I'm saying, is that the only real connection with this show? For the most part, yeah, because most of the reviews I'm saying are like, this is not 
a show that is very, very similar to the 1957. Like, there's so much more dark stuff. Like, in the first episode... Yeah, it's the first in, in, the first, in the first scene, you see a baby that's dead with its eyes stitched open, as you said. But in like later on in that episode, Perry Mason like has to take all out the stitches um, in a morgue of the baby's eyes, and like people are just like, "This is a very, very dark show." That being so, you said, said he didn't take the bar exam until the fifth episode, right? Yeah, he didn't become a lawyer then. Yeah. So he was just an investigator up until then. Yeah, he was a detective, I think. Oh, so he was part of the police force. Uh, yeah, I believe so. Um, like I said, E.B. Johnson came to him, uh, John Lithgow, and was like, hey, I'm assigning you this case. So he do- he had a part in it, but he wasn't, like, a lawyer yeah. yet. Okay. Um, so that's also a big difference, because I'm pretty sure in the 57 version, he started off as a lawyer, and he played one route. Continued to be yeah. one, yeah. Uh, the... I'm wondering if the show is going to do something kind of different, because in the original, the show, uh... There are three cases throughout the whole entire show, over 200 episodes, that Perry Mason loses. Um, only <laughs> really? three. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Um, one, there's... Right now, it's looking like he's going to be 0 for 1. Yeah, so. there's technically four cases, but, like, later... That happens at the beginning of the episode, and later on, he's able to prove he's innocent. So, th- there's only three cases that happen. Um, so, I'm wondering if they're going to, like, maybe do what you're saying. Like, they're going to start him off with losing this case, or they're going to somehow, you know, he turns it around. Um, it's really up in the air. It would be a lot of work and effort to go through this storyline just to have him lose it. The one thing I would say about the investigation that's going on that I didn't like is that even though the scenes are shot beautifully and the characters are doing a good job um, with their dialogue and such, there's no way for the audience to really figure out what's going on before seeing it just spelled out to them. Like, yeah. most shows that are really good and smart can Subtle. provide you with enough evidence as an audience member where you're not screaming at the characters to say, hey, you should have seen this coming, but you, you are able to be like, wow, that would be really interesting if this ends up being like this. In this one, it was, in this show, you were just kind of along for the ride. You were sitting back and they would present you evidence uh, that you would have no way of having guessed beforehand. For instance, when they went into the accounting records of the church, and it's like, how would we think to be doing that? It, it <laughs> yeah. just didn't make sense. I'm not sure if I'm illustrating my point the right no, way. No, I, I think you are. Like, basically, you're saying that shows are able to kind of show you when you should feel a certain way, and not like the characters are showing you I'm what to do, smart, not when you're showing. Not like some you... shows try to take the quick win by pretending to be smart but there was no way in which the audience could have come to that conclusion because they were legitimately keeping evidence away from your face. Mm. But if they had given you some of that, then maybe it wouldn't be that smart a show. Yeah, maybe. Or you would have realized that quicker. Yeah, because the show has gotten good reviews from people who just watch it like and and enjoy it. Like, it has a 78% on Rotten Tomatoes. It was entertaining, but it was kind of... Uh, slow paced. Yeah, seven point three on IMDb. Um, this also has just blown past in terms of ratings, like viewership, like one point yeah, seven million views yeah. across all platforms, making it one of HBO's strongest debut series in two years, outdoing Watchmen and The Outsiders. Wow, The Outsider. Uh, what I said for yeah, people are kind of like eh, on the show, but this episode is actually liked a lot. Mm-hmm. Like a lot I assume because it. it's dealing with the trial, and the trial part is probably the most interesting. No, it is the most interesting part of this episode by yeah. far because I like the judge, even though he was an evil dude by the end. Um, at first, he seemed like he was a legitimate guy who was taking all the facts in mind, and it's played by a guy who uh, 
I think I've seen before, and um, I think he was in the Nick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They have someone from the Nick in there, and also the uh, person that Perry Mason is going against, Stephen Root from Get Out, and a ton of other things. The blind guy in Get Out, and that's the yeah. DA. That's the yeah. really pompous, annoying guy who <laughs> just has no moral compass, but somehow is has no problem blaming this uh, lady for the death of her child, the, and basically just calling her a straight up murderer. Yeah, I think obviously the nemesis. The thing is, is that what I find weird is that the old show had every episode was around a hundred thousand dollars. That was its budget, which accumulates to around a million dollars today. But this show. Um, the new one has like a, a way bigger budget. Like they have Obviously. a ton of things. HBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're able to like film in, like you said, beautiful places. It has been uh, praised for that, like Santa Clarita. A lot of lights, I assume, kind of like is it? This might be a weird question, but is it like a bright show? Do you see a lot of like? Oh God, no! It's the it's very dark, and it also has uh the, like old timey cars and the people are all dressed up in very old-timey outfits and one of the parts of the show that we didn't really get into was the religious aspect of it yeah. and um uh tatiana muslani's character sister alice she played a nun and that kind of so went crazy sister alice yeah is, she yeah. went crazy and she thir- gets slapped in this episode but that's about it <laughs> kind of rightfully so at the end of the third episode she starts talking about how the baby is actually alive or whatever and that the god has told her to resurrect charlie dodson or something weird like that and then she gets support for it which is even weirder so yeah she's about to like open her own like she has her own following i think yeah she does which is weird because she was told at the beginning of episode four to like kind of just you know apologize for what she had said because her remarks kind of you know were pretty picked up and then she was she was supposed to apologize but then she backed her original comment Mm -hmm. so that got her support and that definitely is completely new compared to the old series oh yeah i don't think they had a character like that back then yeah probably not yeah well i think that we kind of went over everything that happened in the episode and we kind of gave a quick synopsis as to how this show compares to the older episode as far as reviews go you said it was uh, mediocre to good mediocre good a lot of style over substance type thing exactly like yeah style, style over so. substance is kind of what i heard going into it so watching this episode i wasn't too I, surprised i like the casting of this because it has a lot of people from different shows that i like uh like nate cordry is from children's hospital and also has justin kirk rob cordry um, rob, well rob cordry's that's his brother, but Nate Cordry is in the show, and he's also from Children's Hospital. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. and then they have Justin Kirk, who plays a brother-in-law, and Nancy on Weeds, and I think that they were able to get a lot of these people because the two writers worked on Friday Night Lights and Weeds. Um, but there was no one from Friday show. Night Lights. Unless uh, Jesse Pinkman is going to like show up in the next Jesse episode. Pinkman. Sorry, Jesse <laughs> Eisenberg. No. What, what was his name's character? It was, uh, Jesse Plemons. Jesse Plemons, yeah. Too many Jessies. All right. Well, I think that's a good place to end it, and we'll see you on the next episode. Bye. Thanks for listening. Bye.